Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 37. And as we're opening here, what I want to, I want you to have this thought in your mind as you're flipping to Genesis 37, and it's this. What is your favorite Old Testament story? What is your favorite Old Testament story? And why is that your favorite? Uh, I texted several friends this week and got different different answers here. And I'd like to read those to you. So one mentioned Abraham, his faith journey and how it reflects our own. And I love the way that throughout their text response, they talked about the journey that he was on. And you could see that building faith and then our own journey and how there's a pattern there that's given to us to encourage us. Two different people said Jericho. And they said, you know, both of them, they said something so weird, something so strange. Why would God give such a foolish thing to do, such a foolish strategy? And yet when they did it in faith, the miracle that God performed, you know, that was wonderful too. David, uh, a nobody who God moved upon and did something with. When you really think about it, he wasn't even second or third choice. He was last choice. In fact, he wasn't even called up by his dad, right? So he's seventh or eighth choice, but he was God's first choice. For Esther, um, one brought out that it was actually Saul's disobedience, him not striking down all the Amalekites that led to the birth of the man, Haman, the Amalekite, who would then threaten the Jewish people. And how that shows that even if we don't understand something that God has told us to do, we should obey because he understands the far-reaching effects of our obedience or our disobedience. And yet, even in Saul's disobedience, we see God's intervention and his protection to his people through a woman named Esther, who was, again, a nobody, who God made beautiful to win a beauty contest. Isn't that that great? Uh, And then Joseph, he was mistreated and he never lost faith. And he showed mercy to others who showed no mercy to him. And what a picture of Christ. That was actually Pastor Joe. I think he picked it just because it had his name. <laughs> and Joseph is actually one of my favorites as well. I remember growing up in Calvary Baptist Church. And I feel like I say this every time. We're not a Baptist church. <laughs> um, but I, I grew up Baptist and went to Calvary Baptist Church in Alexandria, Louisiana growing up. And we had this big library. It was so cool. Even though I didn't know the Lord, my mom didn't even know the Lord. We went there and uh, I would go there and want to check out videos. And one of those videos that I asked for, I think several times was the one of Joseph. And I can still see the scenes in my mind of, of that movie, Joseph. It must've been from the eighties or the early nineties, but I just loved it so, so much. I would watch it again and again. The, the impossibilities of his life were just so great, weren't they? I mean, just truly when you think about it. And that is something I'm going to look at today. But before we do, I want to give you a couple of tips, a couple of thoughts on when you read the Old Testament, how to read the stories of the Old Testament. Another word for that might be the narrative, right? These long portions of scripture that are meant to tell us a whole cohesive story. And it's this. Put a coffee mug up there because I figure some of you must read in the morning or, or maybe you're a late, late night coffee drinker. But it's this. And I hope you can read it. You may not be able to. But it's the, well, number one is this, God is the main hero of the Old Testament stories. When you read David and Goliath, don't read your name into David. Read Jesus into David, right? Read the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the power behind the man. And simply because David expressed faith in that God and his covenant to the people of Israel, 
That is what defeated the Philistine. Because when you look at that story, what you see is, in the name of my gods, I will defeat you. And David says, no, in the name of my God, I'm going to defeat you. So what you have there is these two people representing their gods. So it's really a battle of the true God and the false gods, those demon powers that were behind Dagog and all of these other people. And who wins the day? Was it a shepherd boy? It was the God Almighty, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through him. Is David a hero? Yes. But the main hero of that story and every single story of Jacob, of Esther, and all these people, it's not you and not me. It's God himself. The second point is this. The Old Testament stories, they parallel our lives in many ways. Mankind has always been mankind and will always be mankind. The nature from the fall in the garden is the nature you find in Revelation. It's the same thing. And so when you see those parallels, it's purposeful. It's purposeful. The Holy Spirit guided those authors to put that in there because he knew that it was going to speak into our lives as well. The third point would be this. Through their stories, the Old Testament writers, they knew what they were doing. They knew they were writing being moved by God. And they also had ability as well that the Holy Spirit used to craft stories, to put together beautiful stories where there's tension and there's structure, which we're going to actually see today. And context is necessary. If you don't know the first 36 chapters of Genesis, chapter 37 through 50 makes no sense. But whenever you've plotted through that and you come to it, this beautiful story and the characters and all the things back and forth, you can see this overarching picture that God was writing through Moses as he wrote Genesis, moved by the Holy Spirit. And the last point would be this. The Old Testament stories should be read in the light of God's grand story, the whole picture of all the Bible. And we find our place in that story. It speaks to us when we look at this we're, we, we may be in the technological age, but humanity actually peaked somewhere about three, 400 BC. That's whenever the golden age of Greek literature and all of these things of arithmetic and algebra and geometry and all of this came out. And really what we have right now is we're simply reaping the benefits of all the things that mankind has already discovered. And we're utilizing tools like computers and what is happening actually to our reading ability. We're actually becoming more and more illiterate and looking more at videos. We're coming back to a, being a more oral society in the sense of storytelling. Isn't that what TikTok is and Instagram? It's storytelling. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what I want us to do when we read that is, when we read the Old Testament, don't think these are foolish, uneducated people. These are people who had great artistic ability. The Holy Spirit picked them up and he wrote his book. So with that... Um, I want us to also remember this scripture right here in 1 Corinthians 10, 9 to 12. We do not unhitch from the Old Testament. We do not unhitch from it. We are no longer under the law. We are not. We have been freed by grace. But there are implications on our lives from what we read in the Old Testament. Paul, he was the apostle of grace, wasn't he? He preached that new covenant, didn't he? And this is what he said about the Old Testament. That we are not to put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. That's speaking about the children of Israel, right? Yeah, those that were under the law. We should not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. 
If you detach the Old Testament completely and you will not receive the point of those things it's trying to say, we'll miss out a lot on life. Now, it talks about different clothing and things like this. We understand we are not under that. But when you draw back and you understand what God is trying to say, he's trying to say, I'm holy. It makes sense to us now, right? So let's go with that understanding and an open heart to the word of God. Genesis chapter 37, 1 through 28. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. Follow along if you'd like to. Read your version either way. But I'm going to put mine up here so that you can follow along and not be distracted. Jacob lived, and this is Genesis 37 verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. The scene has been set. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sins of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. It's amazing how Jacob didn't learn how favoritism ruins a family. And he showed favor himself. We see these repeated issues, right? He was a part of a dysfunctional family. He was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors, or with long sleeves. Scholars debate that, but it doesn't matter. What it shows is he was special, and there was something physical and visible that all of his brothers could see about it. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably, peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. I just don't know that this was the wisest thing. Hey, guys, y'all hate me. You want to hate me even more? Come listen to this. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and you bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Come on, Joseph. Behold, the sun, the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying, in mind. Now, his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So it seems that he was really gifted administratively, right? He's got a call of God on his life. That's where these dreams came from. These are not cooked up in his own mind, right? These are the purpose and the plan of God being divinely, sovereignly revealed to Joseph. And it denotes rulership. He is going to be greater than all of his family. Even Jacob, Jacob who wrestled with God will bow down to his son, Joseph. That's a big deal. And he wasn't just a daddy's boy and just had a long coat. He had giftings within him. He was 17 and yet he knew how to oversee his father's flocks and all the workers who just so happened to be his brothers. 
And as any of you may know, some of the hardest people to submit to could be those people. They often say this. It's not the people that you know are clearly above you in rank. And it's not those that are clearly below you in rank. But those who you would assume are your equals can oftentimes be the most difficult people to work with, to be a manager over, because they discount you. But here are these grown men, a good bit older, and their baby brother is coming to check out and see how they're doing. And he's already given one bad report. So Israel says, go check on them again. I will send you to them. And he said to them, here I am. So clearly he felt really good about himself too. He's got a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say ambition. He's just very confident. He's just going to do what Joseph does. I'm just going to get about my business and I'm going to work. Here I am. So he said, go now see how it's going with your brothers. And uh, we see in verse 15, a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? A divinely placed man. I'm seeking my brothers. He said, tell me please where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they've gone away for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then he will say that a, then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. We will see what will become of his dreams. Little did they know, and something I want us to see is our lives are not in the hands of men. They can plot against us, they can seek to destroy us, they can seek to ruin us. They even said, let us see what comes from his dreams. But who gave him those dreams? God himself. Because they weren't his dreams in the way of the American dream and live out your dreams and go after your heart. This was God's heart expressed to a man. And God will never be stopped. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued them out of him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to their father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. What was that again? It showed that authority, that favor that he had from his father. They ripped it from him, that robe of many colors he wore. They took him and they threw him into the pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. They were not seeking his survival. They were seeking his destruction. Verse 25, then they sat down to eat. And I've said this before, whenever we looked at Judah last year, last July, and we looked at these passages, how could they sit there and eat as their brothers probably calling out to them in pain and weeping and anguish that they've done this to them? But their hearts are hard and they are wicked and evil men. Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our, in our own flesh. What a, what a thoughtful man. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So where did we start in verse one? The land of Canaan. What was that? The what land? The promised land to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And now we see 
This man, who's supposed to be so great in the eyes of God, his brother sell him into slavery, and they remove him from the land of covenant. They remove him from the place that God had commanded his blessing. In fact, any time that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had left those places, they seemed to get themselves in trouble. And now we see Joseph being taken, not because he wanted to uh, not be in a famine or anything like this. He's being taken against his will. What about my dreams? What about the things God's spoken to my life? I was where he had me to be, but now I've been forcibly removed from where God wanted me to be. Stripped of all physical sign of blessing, removed from, his, from the promises even of his earthly father. He was rejected and made a slave. And then he finds himself in Potiphar's house. Now, verse chapter 39 Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So now he's a man's slave. But what was God's purpose in this? Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. Where are you in your life right now? The Lord is with you. Even if you've made terrible mistakes, even in your own life, you know, we can repent of those and we can come back to the Lord. Jacob made terrible mistakes. Jacob stole his brother Esau's blessing. He did all these things. He ran away. He was a liar and a schemer. And yet God was able to get his attention and even bless him. We can turn to the Lord and he can take care of us. You know, I just even think about sometimes the shame that um, a man or a woman could have because there was a baby that was conceived out of wedlock. Then they get married and they always carry around the shame. If you know Jesus, you don't carry that shame anymore. It's been washed away by his blood. That sin has been taken care of. Don't carry that to your grave. Will will God bless this baby? I had it out of wedlock. Why would he not? Why would he not? Bring that child to the Lord. Raise him up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's not too late. I don't know. I just feel that maybe there's no one here, but maybe someone will hear that and just don't carry those things. You know, or even in the sense of shame and kind of moving from our story for a moment, the, the pain that women can feel even from having an abortion and they know the Lord. And maybe you beg the Lord again and again, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. If you are his, he has forgiven you. He has forgiven you. And we are to walk in that freedom and forgiveness. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it shocking the kind of God that we have? We can go to him. We can trust him. Now, in Joseph's case, it was nothing of his own doing, but the Lord was still with him and he became successful and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his his hands, succeed in his hands. Here's something amazing. I know my heart, my heart would have been bitter. I would have been mad. I would have been plotting the murder probably of my brothers, right? And myself and my flesh. They did this to me. They rejected me. They took me away. But now I'm getting favor. Yeah, that's right. I'm getting favor in this man's house. I'm probably dressing a bit nicer now. I got a little bit more money in my money bag here. You trust me? I could probably take a trip over there. He's the captain of the guard. But instead, we hear all about the Lord. Now, Joseph was a man, so I know he was tempted with the same things we were, right? The only man tempted, but without sin, was Christ. Now, Joseph is unique in this. We never see him fail. 
that he might, we could debate whether he failed in telling those dreams to his brothers, but we never actually see one time him sin. That's unique, right? A real shadow of Jesus to come. But we see the Lord was with him. Verse 5, he's in charge of everything, and he's the overseer in Potiphar's house over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and the field. Blessing, 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 blessing. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. He was, he, he, you know, he just looked great. His, he had a good face and he had a good body. And it was noticeable. And that was something about Joseph. I don't mean that in a weird way, y'all. You know, some people just look great. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Maybe that was because Potiphar was, all he cared about was his food at that point. Verse 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He never forgot God. God never forgot him, but he never forgot God. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. I can only imagine what it would have been to be like Joseph. I deserve this. I was thrown into a pit after all and sold into slavery. I should be able to do this. I wonder what we would do if we were given great blessing and favor. What do, or maybe what do we do with it after we have gone through great hardship? Do we use our hardships as an excuse to indulge our flesh? I mean, after all, it's been a hard week. It's been rough. You know, my wife left me. So certainly I should be able to do X, Y, and Z. But we never see that kind of excuse making in him. So we know what happens. We'll fast forward a little bit. He's there alone in the house. She catches him by his garment. We could say by his coat. Once more, she takes it away from him and he flees. And once more, that coat is brought to the authorities there. But this time, it's, another, it's an accusation. He tried to do this to me. He tried to force himself upon me. And his master, who used to trust him, in verse 19, heard those words his wife spoke to him. This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. He wasn't just in a prison, right? Potiphar was the chief of the guard. He had great position under Pharaoh. He was a man of authority. He's there with the king's prisoners. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. No matter the life circumstances that Joseph found himself in, God never left him. No matter your life circumstances, no matter how alone, how abandoned, how forsaken, how bruised, how beaten, how I can't take any more God. He has never left you and he has never forsaken you. 
He did not leave Joseph then. And he has given us that promise to those that know him now. And if you don't know him and you're here, he is that friend that you can give your life to. He will take away your sins. He has done that on the cross. He's been raised from the dead for you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. You can come under the shadow of his wings and find protection. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who are in the prison. Everywhere he goes, he rises to the top. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything. That was Joseph's charge. He's a prisoner and the prison warden doesn't look at anything. It's amazing how much trust this man has. And you know what I see there? He's faithful to everything at his hands, even when he's in a place he doesn't want to be. You may hate your job. You may not like your family. You may not like a hundred different circumstances. But if we can learn from Joseph, like we talked about those points earlier, paralleling our lives, he was faithful to God no matter where he went. He probably could have had a very miserable experience, even more miserable than it already was. He could have been unfaithful, right? I wonder if he thought sometimes at night, I wonder if he laid his head down, opened his eyes and thought about those dreams. I'll never have that now. Maybe these were his thoughts, but God blessed him wherever he went. The Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Man forgot him every single time. A cupbearer would come to him. A baker would come to him. They would find themselves in prison after offending Pharaoh in some way. They have a dream. uh, And then uh, Joseph says, I'll interpret that dream for you. It's amazing. His own dream was not being fulfilled. And yet that did not stop him from entering into the dreams of other people. And again, we're talking about at nighttime dreaming. But these were messages from God. And his, he didn't, his brokenness and he didn't allow bitterness to stop him from helping other people. I really want to be that kind of a person. That no matter what I'm going through, if I feel like I'm stagnating here or God's doing this much and I see someone else and they need help, that I would be willing, no matter what my circumstances are, to go and to assist them. Now, in one of the cases... I think the man probably wishes that Joseph never assisted him, right? The baker said, I've had this dream, these baskets, bread on top of my head. And Joseph says, ah, in three days, Pharaoh's going to lift your head off your body. You're going to be dead, right? You're, you're, that's what it's going to be. Ooh. But then the man who was the cupbearer for Pharaoh, his dream gets interpreted, and it is this. In three days, you're going to hold that cup once more in your hand. He wasn't just some servant boy. He held a great position, great authority, great trust. Nehemiah also held a similar position with his king in Babylon. So we see this, and one man dies, and one man lives, and is returned to authority. And this, this is all that Joseph wanted. In chapter 40, verse 13 to 15, he says this in verse 14 specifically. Only remember me, cupbearer. Remember me when it is well with you. And please do me this kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh. Just mention me to him. Just tell him. I I don't belong here. I don't belong here. Verse 15. Indeed, I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also, I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. Would you just remember me? 
You have authority. Surely you're that contact that I needed to see this thing lived out in my life. Surely, if I could even just get out of jail, I would be a happy man. I don't want the favor and the place that I'm at. I want to go home. I want to be out of this pit. I want to be out of this. Just remember me. Just a mention of my name. But what does the cupbearer do? He forgets him completely. Situation after situation after situation, blow after blow after blow against his heart, against his mind. Can you just feel that kind of a pain if you were in his shoes? Or maybe you'd say, I really feel like that's like my life. I'm not Joseph, but man, I can draw a lot of parallels to this to me. Man always forgot Joseph. Man can neither stop your dream, stop God's purposes for your life, nor can man fulfill God's purposes for your life. You might put all of your hopes and your dreams that this one person, and oh, they're this pastor, and if I can just get to Pastor Lee, oh, with this thing, I know that he'll set me up, and he'll just shoot me out the, the gate like a hot wheel on the hot wheel track, and I'll just be on the path of God and be able to do everything. That's not the case. You bring it to him, He'll sit there and he'll listen to you and he'll pray with you and he'll say, well, how can I help you? And it's like, wait, I thought you were going to like, you're like the man of God, right? And if I come to you, no, that's not how things work. God, now God will use people and he'll definitely use Pastor Lee in your life. Counsel and wisdom and things like this. And he'll assist you. He really is that kind of a man. But no person can take the place of God. And I bet that is one thing that just was completely destroyed was this, my trust in humans. Joseph's trust in humans had been betrayed so many times. It's only him and God and maybe his two dreams he had when he was a 17-year-old. So what will he do? Ah, Pharaoh, you got that dream and you can't figure it out? You know, it just came back to me. That wasn't just a function of his mind recalling information. That was divinely inspired by God. There's this guy in the prison. And you know what? I think he could interpret that. He interpreted my dream. So we see God's timeline is not our timeline. And maybe even that person who God did put you into contact with, nothing came of it and you were discouraged. But then years later, you might get a phone call or something happens. And God does neatly weave. You know, it's like he's got our lives in his hand and there's a needle and there's this thread and he is just going so tightly. We just don't even understand what God's doing, but he is getting every single detail just the way he wants it. If we will walk with him in faith and let him, if we will just let him. God's steadfast love was with him. So that proposal uh, in chapter 41, 37, Pharaoh is very pleased by this. And uh, he says, you know, Joseph, Joseph has been brought before him and he gives him this information. He says, I'm going to give you an idea along with this dream. I not only have this ability to interpret it, but because he was so administrative and I appreciate that he was so administrative, God used that. And he said, now, you know, if you did this and if you would, you know, just take a fifth of that grain every year in those years of plenty, put them away, do this. He kind of gives them this strategic plan. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, you're the guy. And so he brings him up. This guy who had had his clothing ripped from him twice in shame 
Pharaoh says, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Since God has shown you all this, there's none so discerning and wise in you. You're going to be over my house and my people shall order themselves as you command. Only in regards to my throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. But really, it was God who had set him over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Isn't that amazing too? How Moses, by the Spirit of God, wove this in? His jacket's torn away, his jacket's torn away, his authority, his favor, the shame of that. And then he is clothed by God through Pharaoh with this fine clothing of authority, of promise, and of dignity. God himself taking that into his own hands. But it still would have been hard to deal with all the things. You know, we talk about PTSD, real thing, right? We talk about trauma. We talk about things like this in life that are hard to get over. Can you imagine the kind of trauma that Joseph, you know, was walking around with? Hands tied together behind a camel, walking a hundred, couple hundred miles into Egypt, sweating, get sold as a slave. You know, here are these people. You know, he looks kind of strong. I'll buy him. Come on here, boy. Accused of violating a woman, all of these things. He had to feel this. Where was God in this? Did God repair his heart? We could ask. Well, in chapter 41, verses 50 to 52, before the year the famine came, Joseph actually had two sons. He was given a wife and he named one of his sons Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. God is able to remove the pain of your abuse, the wrongdoing by people's hands, the painfulness of just life itself. He is able to remove that poison, that venom of the snake, as it were. He's able to remove that from your life. But that wasn't that all that God did. He didn't just remove the pain. He then had a second son named Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of of my affliction. God is able to give us joy. He is able to give us peace. He is able to give us hope in your marriage, with your children, in your job, and all of these things. He is able to do this, and He has not forgotten you. We fast forward to 45 in this story because this takes 13 chapters, and I would really suggest this. This week, or even today, if you're a fast reader, go read it. Go read Genesis 37 through the end of Genesis, chapter 50. Might take an hour and a half total. Two hours if maybe you're a little bit slower reader and that's okay. Just go do that. You will be very, very encouraged. So he's in favor and he's in blessing, but then his family needs him. But they don't know they need him. The famine strikes the land. It even strikes Canaan. And Jacob, not knowing he's being moved by God, sends his son to Egypt because he says, I hear there's grain there. The very people who had rejected and wanted to kill him was God's divine positioning to rescue those very people. The very people who have harmed us, who have hurt us at times. If we will allow the grace of God to come in and heal us, can be the very people we can then rescue with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can be the very people who are then saved, not just from a temporary famine, but from an eternity apart from Jesus. Are we willing to be like Joseph? 
Or are we willing to even greater than him to be like Jesus? Who was rejected. Who was abandoned. And yet did not curse. But laid down his life for the very ones nailing him to the cross. Because that is what we really see in this story. That kind of a love. Well, his brothers come before him. He plays some games with them, and I'm not mad about it. It's very interesting. You know, I used to think whenever I read about Joseph's brothers coming, and he's like, okay, going to test them and put some silver in one of the bags and puts one in prison. And if you notice, he never puts Reuben in prison because he tried to deliver Joseph. And he never puts Simeon and Levi because they already messed themselves over whenever they killed all those people because they violated their, their sister Dina. So they're out. And then we see it move to Judah and all of these other people. Uh, I may have missed that with Simeon and Levi. But anyway, I just appreciate what he did to them. And he tests them and he tests their heart. And I believe that was God's purpose as well. So brothers in prison, they come back. Judah lays his life on the line. And what do we see? Do we see wrath from Joseph? Do we see his bitterness breathed out against his brothers? No. In chapter 45, verse 1, we see this. Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, not to murder them. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Can you imagine the last time we saw him was when he was probably calling out for help, being drugged as a slave behind these camels. Probably told to shut up by slave masters as you turn your back from him for the last time. And now he stands before you and you're like, oh, no. What is he going to do to me? Joseph says to his brothers, come near to me, please. They came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. There are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all of his house, and a ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father, say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. And you're going to dwell in the land of Goshen. And you're going to be near me, your children, your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, all that you have. I am going to care for you. I'm going to take care for you. That in that Jesus, doesn't that show us Jesus? Would you come to me? Would you just come to me with all of your sin and your brokenness? Would you come to me with all the times you've cursed my name? All the times you've blasphemed me? All the times you felt convicted in church and pushed me away? All the people who handed maybe a gospel tract or open air preacher, anything else? Would you just come to me? Don't be upset with yourself. I'm not going to be angry with you. I want to forgive you. Not only do I want to forgive you, I want to forgive your whole family. I want to care for them too. And I don't want to just take care of you in the sweet by and by. I want to take your hand as you follow me day by day. I want to walk with you and I want to have a relationship with you. And then I'm going to settle you into a place far better than the land of Goshen. I'm going to settle you with me and a place where I've been preparing a place for you all these years. There's the gospel in this story. We see that. 
so clearly. But again, back to those points, what do I see about me in this story? I'm not like Joseph. I get angry at stuff far less than that. I get bent out of shape about stuff far less than that. And I know that there are things that I still need God to help me to get over because, you know, <laughs> Lee's talked about a quitter generation, but I would say this, we as general people are quitters and complainers and whiners. And in our nation, we have been very, very blessed. And we have not seen anything too terrible since the 1920s. Sure, there was the 70s when gas was high and there was a line at the gas pump for a little while that people had to pay for, you know, and I know y'all had to go through that. And I know there was the 80s and high interest rates and stuff like that. But the plenty that we have been given, and I find myself so weak when I see Joseph. But I can be assured of this one thing. If he, even before the old covenant, could find the grace of God to live like that, how much more can I, in the new, with the Holy Spirit in me, live not just this life, but far greater? He is a shining star to me, but he is my encouragement that the God who is with him will help me to live likewise. I don't have to be bitter at that family member. I don't have to be angry at that life circumstance. I don't have to let that rule me if I don't want to because my God has never forgotten me. I don't have to think, man, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. I've made mistakes. Oh, I shouldn't have told him those dreams. I'd never be here. That's gone. All that matters is this. If I will walk with God now, he's able to weave my life together. Now, I have free will and I have a choice. We see that from the garden on. And yet, at the same time, there are certain events that God will make sure absolutely occur. Saul doesn't work out. Put him to the side. Bring in a David. He'll do that. God is going to get done what God wills to be done. I just want to make sure I'm a part of it. And I just want to make sure that he, what he wants to do in my life, he gets to do. Because look how awesome it is. I may not understand it all this side of glory. In fact, I won't. There are so many questions, right? So many things. But I will one day, and I will bless his name. And when I go to the end of this awesome book, Genesis, the story is more than just a story. It is crafted beautifully. And the first verse of 37 said this, Jacob lived in the land of his father's stone journeys and the land of Canaan. All of Israel was brought out to Egypt, not the promised land. But in 50, verse 25, Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. He knew I am, he's going to come back. And he's going to, sorry, verse 24, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 37 to 50, we see covenant. I keep my covenants. No matter what it looks like on this earth, I keep my covenants. And if we are in the covenant of grace and we are trusting Jesus and walking with him, no matter the circumstances, the things on the news, if our country should implode and fall apart, God's covenant is still going to be completed in our lives. That doesn't come with an American dream. In fact, it comes with this. All who live in Christ Jesus, live godly in Christ Jesus, will endure persecution. 
But my dream's not here, though I may benefit and greatly love my land. My home's in heaven. But I have a king I get to walk with right now in the kingdom of God. He is a covenant and a promise-keeping God. What has he promised you? What have you know that you heard from God? And you wonder, will he do this in my life? If he has spoken it, it will come to pass. We just might be a bit more mellowed and mature whenever we get there and whenever we receive it, right? He is able to do mighty things. It may take time or he can do it quickly. 17 to 30, right? He's administ- Joseph's administrator over some flocks and sheep. And now he's over all of Egypt. But I can also say it's because he worked with the grace of God. He worked with the grace of God. He gave his faith to God. Yes, to God. To do those things that were not convenient or comfortable with him. And if we will walk in that kind of relationship, we will be fully prepared. You might be saying, and, uh, you know, those funny things that, you know, uh, Cain's today. And you know God's got something more for you tomorrow. But if you'll just keep doing that and slinging chicken, there's going to come a time where you might be dealing with greater things. Such as the word of God or your family or something else in a corporation. All of these things work together for the good of those who love him, who know him, and are called according to his purpose. God, what do I see about God in this? He is not willing to put man through things like this and yet not go through it himself. We can say, why did you do that, God? And again, it goes back to the garden. God has certain things that he wants to do, but yet there's man's choice even in the midst of these things. Why did you do this? Why did you have to do this? He had to in the functioning of human events because that is how he created this earth. In human lives all strung together, he had to get Joseph there. But what did he do with his own son, Jesus? I could, I could look there and I've often wondered, why did you put Joseph through that? But really the question is, why did you put Jesus through that? Why did you let him do that? See, Joseph was brought from the most disgusting place, overseeing sheep. And he was brought to the highest place, Egypt, Jesus came from the highest place, heaven, and he took the lowest place, washing the feet of others. Joseph came from a slave to an emperor, second in command. Jesus was king of all kings and became a suffering servant on a cross. My goodness, God will never, we, we, we are not alone in the things we go through. And we say, we may even blame God sometimes. Why are you letting me go through this? Why? Sometimes it is really the convergence of just sin itself, people's poor choices and life. But in that, he is able to weave things together for a good purpose. And Jesus is my example that, again, the grave is not the end. There is a resurrection. There is life with him. I see Jesus all in this. And Carla, you can come up or whoever's going to close. But again, I'm left with all these beautiful pictures of Jesus, but I'm left with this very ugly picture of me. I'm more like Joseph's brothers and myself than I am Joseph. How would I respond to temptation? It may not be the temptation that Joseph had. Call it whatever. I don't think I would have passed the test. How do I handle being forgotten by others? Do I trust God? Or do I forget him when all is against me? Do I bless those who persecute me? Do I pray for them? I'm like, oh God, break the teeth of my enemy, oh Lord. 
You know, I take David's Psalms, which is all tied into that covenant of that land. And I'm just like, break the teeth of the ungodly, oh God. Those who rise themselves up against me. What comes out of my heart? What comes out of me? What is squeezed out of me in life? How would I act if total control and power are in my hands? Or can I lay all of those things down at Jesus' feet? All of my hurt, all of my wounds, all of my pain, all of my bitterness, so that I can be made in strong, made strong in the grace of God and do things God's way and not my way. I'm not like Joseph, but I want to be. And Jesus will make me greater than Joseph. He is conforming to me to his own image. So I just invite you, wherever you're at, however that struck you, if you're in that place, to let the Lord minister to your heart, to pray for others. If you don't know him at all, that you would open your heart and let him in. Let him wash you. Let him cleanse you. Let him heal you of all the pain and all the hurt. Take away your sin.